everyone. Welcome to episode 118 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And I'm going to surprise Chris with something that I think she might not remember. Hmm. This is our fourth birthday. Really? Our first episode went up on December 6th, 2016. Wow. Which is in, we're recording on December 4th, but this episode will be live on the 8th. So we will be officially four when this episode airs. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yay for us. Yay. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited. This means we're growing out of our toddlerhood. Right. <laughs> we don't know what that means you should expect from us, everyone, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yes, it's been four years of fun. It totally. Oh, I just, I, I think it's just been such a beautiful adventure with you. I mean, we met and within what, six months, we started a podcast together and it's just been such a fun journey of friendship and books with you. Yeah, it really has. And we've done a lot of adventuring and journeying, which has come to a little bit of a screeching halt this year, but we're still managing to do our couch Biblio adventures. So yeah. still having some fun that way. And of course, sharing lots of reading together. Yes. And I think one of the fun things that has come out of the pandemic for us is doing our book discussions on Zoom with listeners, because that's just been so much fun to get to see listeners and get to know them a little bit more intimately having those almost face-to-face -face book talks. It's true. It's true. I know some people feel like, oh, how could anyone add another Zoom you know, meeting into the mix? But it's pure fun. And I really have enjoyed it as well. It's fun to see the community that we have built as book cougars. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, everybody who's been listening to us for, well, since the beginning, or if you're a new listener, welcome. Yeah. Thank you for coming along with us. So Chris, what are you currently reading? I'm currently reading In the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce. She wrote You Let Me In, which is that novel that I raved about earlier this year. It came out, um, I think, just in March or April. This new book, In the Garden of Spite, comes out January 19th, so it's an advanced digital copy that I'm reading. It's coming out from Berkeley, and so thanks to NetGalley, who I got the advanced reader copy through. It's a historical mystery thriller based on the life of one of America's most prolific female serial killers from the 19th century. Ooh. The Black Widow of Laporte, Belle Gunnis, was her, the name that she gave herself when she moved from Norway as a young woman. So I'm at the 30% mark. It's really good historical fiction. The first chunk of the book is in Norway, where Belle is a young woman. She's pregnant by the farmer's daughter, by the farmer's son. That would be a trick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by the farmer's son. So in Northern Europe, at least back then, like farmers were landed people. They owned the land. They were wealthier people. They may not be extremely wealthy as we think of wealth today, but they were wealthy and secure and definitely like upper middle class. And Bell's family were the workers. So they were working class. They had no safety net whatsoever. And also there was not much birth control back then. So there were often a lot of kids with not a lot of food, not a lot of resources to feed those children. So hence, you know, so many people coming to America. Belle has had a rough childhood and then something awful happens. And I can't say more because it's a mystery thriller and you want to enjoy it as it's unfolding. I'm looking forward to getting back into it and hopefully we'll finish it this weekend. Uh, that is In the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce, who is a Norwegian writer, I should say who I'm pretty sure writes in English because there's never a translator listed. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting that here is this Norwegian writer writing about one of America's female serial killers who happened to be a Norwegian immigrant. I give you mad props for reading about a serial killer. That gives me the complete heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of a creepy book. It's, yeah, it won't be for the faint of heart, I don't think. It's been a little gruesome, but I... I think it's going to get even more so. So, 
Which is something apparently that Chris is looking forward to. <laughs> what are you reading? I'm reading Legends of the North Cascades by Jonathan Evison. I got an advanced reader copy from the publisher Algonquin. Thank you. This does not come out until June of 21. I'm sorry, everybody. I know that's a long way away. I have had this um, on my e-reader for quite some time and I really want to read it. So I finally decided to start. But I will tell you, if you have not read a Jonathan Evison book, there are plenty that you can get while you're waiting for your pre-order of this one to come. And the ones I would recommend of his are Revised Fundamentals of Caregiving, West of Here, All About Lulu, and Lawn Boy. He weaves a good tale, this guy. I love Jonathan Evison. He also is the first person, first author, I should say, that I ever had the pleasure of moderating at a booktopia. He's quite a riot, very um, interesting guy. This book, I've just barely started it, but it takes place in the Pacific Northwest and it's about a father and daughter who lose the mom slash wife to an accident. Mm -hmm. And part of his reaction to this is to move up into a cave in the mountains and live off the land. And so far, the book goes back and forth in time. Um, he has been a Marine. He was a football player in high school. The this is the, the character of the father. And so it goes back and forth in time. And so I'm kind of just at the point where I'm learning um, who the characters are. There's also a thread of the before times. So the people who lived on the land there before the time that they're living in, which is current day which I haven't quite figured out yet because I'm so new into the book, okay. but I'm curious to know what that's going to be. And I would imagine that's part of the reference of legends of the North Cascades. Yeah. Um, the people that walked the earth before them is my guess. Again, legends of the North Cascades, Jonathan Evison doesn't come out till June of 21, but lots of Jonathan Evison you can read in, until then. Very cool. Well, I'm not reading anything else right now, but I forgot to mention that in the Garden of Spite, there is a current Goodreads giveaway going on for a print copy of that book. That giveaway ends December 13th. So, Ooh, so get if you're on interested, that. Yeah, yeah, enter that and good luck. Yeah, very cool. There is a, I think there's like a tab in Goodreads, right? That has giveaways. Yeah, you can look for it that way. There's actually the giveaway tag where you can, you know, sort it by what genre you're interested in or the most popular giveaways. But also if you just go to the book in the Garden of Spite, in the books, you know, just after the description, I think it says Goodreads giveaway and you can enter it right there. Cool. That's great. I am also reading a book of poetry called How to Fly in 10,000 Easy Lessons by Barbara Kingsolver. Cool. This is a book that I requested from Harper. So thank you to the publisher. Barbara Kingsolver, we got to see her in person back in the day. When we did things <laughs> like that. Right. At the 92nd Street Y in conversation with Richard Powers. It was a wonderful evening. And that was about her work of fiction called Unsheltered. She's written a ton of fiction, nonfiction, and essays. As far as I know, this is her first book of poetry. And she talked about this being the next book that would publish when we saw her that night. So it's really exciting to have the book now in our hands. I have only just gotten it today. So I haven't had a chance to do anything but look at the table of contents and kind of, um, you know, peek through it. But I'm excited to dig into it more um, in the coming weeks. just read so i finished the book i was talking about on the last episode called let him go by larry watson i also mentioned that this was coming out in a film which i have not been able to find the only place i can find it it says it's in theaters which i think is hilarious because as far as i know we can't go to any movie theaters in Connecticut anyway. Maybe it's different in other states. I don't know. So that was supposed to be my big treat, and I still haven't gotten to that. So maybe it'll be coming out streaming soon. It's the story of George and Margaret Blackledge, who have lost their son to a tragic accident. He had a child, their grandson, and their daughter-in-law remarries to a violent man. 
and they leave the town they were all living in. So they, George and Margaret, go on a quest to find them in hopes of bringing the young boy back to live with them. It's very stark. It takes place in North Dakota and Montana, and the writing is very spare as well. It kind of matches the landscape. And um, it's a lot about determination and grit and facing you know, people who are violent unabashedly and without fear, even though it tends to lead to bad consequences. I don't want to spoil any parts of this book, um, just to say that I really enjoyed the writing. I thought it was beautiful. And Larry Watson has written other books. One of them has Montana in the title. I'm sorry, I can't remember it. But I will be looking to read more of his writing. And it's also a, a husband and wife you know, and their relationship and an, an old marriage. They've been married a long time. So I really appreciated that. And along with the cast of characters that they meet along the way. So I'm being a little vague because there's some things that happen that I want to be sure not to spoil, but let him go. Larry Watson. Um, I really enjoyed it and recommend it. Nice. What about you? Well, I did finish Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America by Ijeoma Aluo. And this is a book I've mentioned in the past. And I think uh, I was reading it for a while and then I had to put it down and I picked it back up. It is excellent. It's out now. It just came out December 1st from Seal Press. It's 304 pages. So it's not a really big book for the amount of ground that she covers because she looks at American history all the way up to the present and the amount of things she packs in here you know she covers everything from like the wild west to you know contemporary politics and the NFL mm. she has a chapter about that and the history of the NFL and how it started as a way to kind of placate workers and give them something to do you, you mean know, to, to, kinda... to, to watch you mean no, to play themselves and to watch, I suppose. Um, okay. I grew up in Cicero, Illinois, and Western Electric was there. And I know that they had a lot of sports teams for workers. So workers would be in the factory all day. And then they had, it was a way to build camaraderie, but also give them something to do instead of going out and drinking and then having that impact their work the next day. I, I'm totally getting off the point. Alua doesn't go into that. She talks more about how it was a white game and how some of the teams did not integrate quickly or at all. The big standout was, no surprise, the Washington Redskins, mm. which was owned and operated by an extremely racist man, uh, unapologetically white supremacist guy, you know, hence naming his team the Redskins, which mm -hmm. is offensive and finally changed this year yeah so she talks about you know the history of the nfl the integration with that suicides of, among white men are on the rise and the biggest percentage of suicides and also that white men are the biggest terrorist threat that we have in this country it's a very readable book and again the ground she covers for 304 pages is pretty amazing i think there are tons of places I mark the book, things I want to learn about more. And I do want to check out a physical copy, you know, just to look at all of the peripheral stuff like the index and sources and things like that that weren't on the e-copy, e-review copy that I received. So again, that was Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America by Ijeoma Aluo, out now. Great. I read The Great Offshore Grounds by Vanessa Veselka. This book was long listed for the National Book Award. That's how it got my attention. Oh, this book. <laughs> it is quite a long book and quite epic in nature. She tried to do a lot with it. And I had a little bit of a problem with that at some points. I just felt like it was, it was really long. I mean, I'm just, that's all. And there were times where I felt really uncomfortable reading it. And part of that is... There's one particular character in the story that's making decisions that you can see make her life harder. And I realize I really struggle with books like that a lot. I'm yeah. very responsible. <laughs> but do you talk back to them a lot? You tell the character, no. I don't talk back, but it really makes me literally physically uncomfortable 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. The other day, um, the gentleman caller and I were waking up in the morning. I'm a very much a morning person. He is not. His alarm was going off and I'm like, carpe diem, let's go. <laughs> you know, and I'm the one that, you know, like I have meetings, but I don't necessarily have to show up exactly on time and punch in to a clock and things, which he has to do. And he just rolled over and he looked at me and he said, you're so responsible. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's what's going to go on my tombstone. She was responsible. She was a responsible Capricorn. There's a newsflash. <laughs> anyway, so I was thinking as I was reading this book, like that's part of what's troubling me about this book is like, it's hard to turn the pages because I just feel like they're making really difficult decisions. And then as I was reading deeper into it, I thought, actually, this is kind of like what Brian Stevenson was talking about when we saw him. He's the author of Just Mercy. And one of the things he talks about more in um, a class and a race setting is that it's important to become proximate to each other. And then we understand each other and have more tolerance for each other, I think. And maybe in some cases aren't afraid of each other. And again, he's talking about more in the area of class, but I, or race, I'm sorry, but I think it applies to class as well. And I realized as I was reading it, that what was actually making me uncomfortable was poverty Hmm. and being faced and looking poverty in the eye and how that really impacts people's decisions. Yeah. And I would say that's really one of the threads of this book. And so the, the basis of the story is there's a mother, Kirsten, who has two daughters, Cheyenne and Livy, and they are raised together. She's had them since the day they were born, but they are from two different mothers. One of them is her natural child, and one was from a friend who gave birth on the same day, but they have the same father. They were in an open relationship. The daughters, she's never told the daughters which one of them is her natural child. And seemingly it doesn't matter. But they all are going to a wedding. That's how the book opens. And the wedding is their father's wedding. And he's uber wealthy, marrying a woman half his age. He brings the two girls into a room to say, I have something for you. And they're both impoverished. And they think, oh, maybe he's going to give them some money doesn't give him any money. Instead, he gives them the name of the woman who is the other mother. Oh, what a dick. Yeah. (laughs) On so many levels. He's never had anything to do with them either. Like he's not really been a part of their lives at all. So there ensues the beginning of the adventure. Part of it is about one of the daughters deciding to go. Well, at one point, both of the daughters go to try to find this woman to no avail. And then the other daughter ends up going back by herself. She gets another lead and finds the woman. And so that's one of the story arcs. But the other arc is about trying to find your way and make a living at a time when you don't have anything, you know? And the mother, Kirsten, needs to get a job that has health care benefits. And it's, there's this scene, she ends up getting a job working for a parking garage. And the opening scene, you know, like she needs, not the opening scene, the opening day, her first day on the job, they say, you know, like, well, you need to buy a uniform and the uniform's $35 and we take that from your first paycheck and you have to park five blocks away and it costs you money to park and you know, she's making minimum wage and you just start to understand the difficulty of trying to make a living. And both the girls are doing the same thing. And Livy in particular has spent a lot of time on boats out to sea, which is part of the name, the great offshore grounds is, you know, like area where they go and fish. And some of the scenes are intense on these boats. I mean, she really did some research, the author, to, to do this. So anyway, it's, it's a tough book to read. That's how I'll leave it. I was really glad I read it when I got through it, but it made me super uncomfortable the whole time. That's interesting. You know, it makes me think of that article that was going around forever about how reading makes people more empathetic. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. I don't think reading does it. I think being open to the emotion that books can evoke, Mm -hmm. being open to that and following it and trying to figure out what it's making you feel and why. I think that's what 
creates empathy, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. The example you're giving right here from this experience reading the book. Yeah. And also being willing to stay in the discomfort, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of what the conversations are now about race, right? Being when we talk to Dr. Akbar, you know, being willing to be uncomfortable, maybe make some missteps in your conversations, but that's how we learn and understand. Yeah. At least try. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So again, The Great Offshore Grounds by Vanessa Veselka. Now, I jumped to the gun when I called the character uh, a dick for his behavior. Was it, was that scene just kind of the twist that got the book going or the story going in that direction? Or was there some character motivation for him to do that? It was just this scene that got it started. But I mean, I think he was a jerk. I mean, he hadn't had anything to do with his kids' lives. And like to say to people, the way he said about the money is, you know, I don't think money will help you. And it's like, you know, I agree with that when, you know, historically when people win the lottery, it doesn't necessarily help them. But, you know, having money to pay your rent or get an education, that's really helpful, you know? And if you are the parent and you brought people into the world, you know, and you have the means to help, then I think it's great if you do, you know, I think again, helping too much can, can lead to problems if you have tons of wealth, but you know, these were people who were incredibly impoverished. Yeah. And when you're in poverty, you can't get a leg up, Mm -mm. you know, you just can't. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so fascinating. I just read an article. It was a long piece about the guy, the psychologist who did the study about whether wealth brings happiness, like what contributes to happiness. And I guess the study that he did, it wouldn't pass muster today, but this is back, I think like in the seventies, he looked at people who had just won the lottery and then people who had just had some devastating trauma mm. and looked at their levels of happiness. And so that, you know, the people who had the adversity were often happier than the people who won the money. But like, there's, there's not much equation there. You know, I think the thing is like money is, is comfort. Money is survival. Like mm-hmm. money is a lot of different things, but you can't say like money doesn't help, you know, that's just ridiculous. Well, you know, I work in money and I, yeah. what I always say is money's a tool. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have money, you don't have that tool that helps you accomplish things. And it's interesting because I also just, in my work life, I just attended a webinar last week. And one of the things they talked about was the term that I'm sure you've heard and most of our listeners have heard called white privilege. And there's been a lot of pushback on that term, particularly from white people. There are a lot of white people who don't feel privileged. And so what they're doing now is there's a push to change to the term white advantage. Mm -hmm. You know, by having white skin in a lot of ways, you have an advantage. It doesn't necessarily mean you have privilege. The term privilege implies that you you know, have money or have high education, you know, whatever that term may mean to some people. Right. Yeah. But if you walk into the door of a bank and you're white, a lot of times you're offered a different loan package than if you walk into a bank and you're black, that's an example of white advantage, you know? And this book really taught, to me, I thought a lot about that, what white advantage is versus white privilege. Because these were all, one of the characters is not white, but the others are white. And they definitely weren't privileged other than the jerky dad. Did you read anything else? I did. I finished the book of eels, our enduring fascination with the most mysterious creature in the natural world. That's by Patrick Svensson. It was translated from Swedish by Agnes Bromi. I listened to the audio, which is narrated by Alex Windham. And I love this book. I can see why it's on a lot of best of lists and winning awards. It's only 256 pages. I'm holding the book up. I have the library copy. And the audio was six hours and 28 minutes. And it it went by like nothing. So it's natural history, natural science, part memoir 
it's just a fascinating look at eels and the author's life and the history of eels. I was constantly amazed by the twists and turns that things took. So I'm just going to read pun, this pun one. intended twists and turns, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and just the number of different people who have studied eels and then just the study of eels in general and trying to figure out where they come from, how they reproduce, which they still really don't know. They've never been seen mating. One of the people who studied eels for a while was Sigmund Freud, which you don't really think of him studying eels too much. Uh, but I love what Svensson does. He, he gently kind of pokes fun at Freud. So he was a student and his professor sent him to uh, the Mediterranean to, to study eels, to try and find the reproductive organs of eels. So let me just read you this hmm. paragraph. Thus, in March 1876, Carl Klaus decided to dispatch one of his young students to the universe, from the University of Vienna to his research station in Trieste. And that is how, at the age of 19, Sigmund Freud suddenly found himself in a simple laboratory on the Mediterranean with a knife in one hand and a dead eel in the other. <laughs> so it's, I mean, you know, talk about like, the whole penis envy yes. uh, with Freud and, and the, and he's trying to find the genitalia specifically of the male eel, you know, and he can't find the penis. Um, so it's just kind of funny the way that's kind of worked in here and there. He doesn't, what I like about Svensson is he doesn't hit anything over the head. He, he gently and beautifully weaves in these connections. And he talks a bit about Rachel Carson because Carson studied the eel. The section where he's talking about her, who he says Carson is going to stand out as one of the people who contributed most to not only the understanding of the eel, but to the vast and complex ecosystem to which it inevitably belongs. I just read a, a sentence. Just how influential she was and in that she anthropomorphized the eel, which, and she did that with a lot of creatures, which is a no-no in science. Mm-hmm. But it brings it to the public and it helps the public understand and relate to animals and creatures in a different way. So that made me want to read Rachel Carson. She wrote Silent Spring. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was yeah. her last book. I really enjoyed this book. I highly recommend it. I think it'd be a great gift to give for the holidays uh, for somebody you know who might be into fishing or nature or animals or the ocean. This book covers a lot of different points. So again, that was the Book of Eels, Our Enduring Fascination with the Most Mysterious Creature in the Natural World by Patrick Svensson. I read Just Like You by Nick Hornby. This is, some folks are referring to it as a Brexit romance. <laughs> um, it takes place over um, the, in 2016 when Brexit, well, I don't know what you say in England, it was voted in, I guess. They agreed to... UK to exit the European Union, which is still a work in progress, but very controversial. And then kind of ends in November when in our country, Trump is elected. It deals with the character of Lucy, who's separated from her alcoholic husband. And she ends up meeting a gentleman that works at the local butcher shop, who is 20 years her junior. And they get into a relationship together. And um, she has two kids and the relationship begins by him being her babysitter and quickly turns into something else, which I thought was kind of fun because it's usually, you know, classically the husband runs off with the nanny, right? So this is a little different. I mean, they're, first of all, she's separated from her husband and it's the woman who gets involved with the babysitter. Um, and so it deals with themes of class because they're from different class. She's got a master's in literature and she's a principal, I think, at a school. And he works in a butcher shop and is kind of trying to get by on his salary. Also culture clash. She's white. He's black. They live in different parts of the city. Age disparity, motherhood. But it was really poignant. I really enjoyed it. And um, I thought it was a brilliant way to look at a relationship, but then also bring in some politics and how do people's, how people's position in their class affect the way that they vote. 
And this young man, Joseph, is very torn by Brexit and how to vote because his parents see it differently and people around him, you know, he's listening to all the chatter around it and he's in his early 20s and he doesn't, or mid 20s, I think, and he doesn't quite know how to vote because he's listening to what people have to say and what their beliefs and hopes are of how the UK will change if they're not part of the European Union anymore. It was also incredibly funny in, you know, it's fun to read Brit Lit, you know, they use different terms than we'd use. And it'd been a long time since I'd stepped into a quick little fun jaunt of a book with some British humor. So I enjoyed it. For those who recognize Nick Hornby's name, he's also the author of High Fidelity, About a Boy, Juliet Naked. And I watched the movie Juliet Naked recently and loved it. I have not read the book, so... I haven't read anything by him yet. Yeah, I never had either, but I've definitely enjoyed movies that are based on his books. I thought About a Boy was a great movie also. So. Yeah, I think I did see that. Was that about a boy who gets adopted? Or am I thinking of something different? No, okay. that's it's with Hugh Grant. And um, is it, I don't think he gets adopted. I think he um, gets into a relationship with a woman who has a son. I don't really remember the details. Hmm. Okay. I think it was made into a TV series also. And then High Fidelity, is a, isn't that the one that um, takes place in a record shop or something like that? I do not know. Yeah, I'm speaking off the cuff. Anyway, <laughs> if you want a quick, fun little romance, Just Like You by Nick Hornby. Nice. The other thing I read was a short story that has been on my mind since I read Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia earlier this year. Mexican Gothic is a horror novel set in an old mansion and there is a lot of things going on in that novel but one of them is the wallpaper is weird so that made me think of the yellow wallpaper by charlotte perkins gilman oh so good yeah famous story published in 1892 and based in part on gilman's own experience of taking the rest cure as it was called which was created by a physician named Silas Ware Mitchell. And this was something that was to help women who were overstressed, depressed, nervous, a lot of different things, postpartum issues, women were given this cure. And they were basically put in a room with no stimulation whatsoever. And they were fed really fatty foods because the idea was that Putting on more flesh helped the nerves, and not having stimulation helped the nerves. Um, but on the other hand, this guy's cure for men was the complete opposite. It was sending guys west to, you know, be wild cowboys and pioneers and really get rough and rugged and masculine. The story now, the yellow wallpaper, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the early feminist pieces of literature in America. And it's also condemnation of the 19th century misogynist medical practices. Not that there are still not misogynist medical practices in our day and age, but Gilman really brought this to light and the harm that it does. Because basically the character is a woman, it's told in the first person, and, and it's so streamlined and stripped down. Like it's, you know, it's late Victorian fiction, but it really reads as contemporary to today even, I think. Mm-hmm. So check it out. I, I downloaded a free copy from Project Gutenberg, which is, you know, free digital books. You can donate to them if you like um, to help support the cause. But it is a short story that is readily available. And she's loosely related to Harry Beecher Stowe. Hmm. Charlotte Perkins Gilman's dad was one of the Stowe siblings. Oh, how interesting. He kind of abandoned the family. So Gilman had, a, I think, a brother. There were two kids, and the doctor told her mother after she was born, you can't have any more kids, you could die. So the father just abandoned the family, and they were in poverty. Gee, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a theme Um, (laughs) in this podcast, isn't it? (laughs) But it was interesting because Gilman didn't really, you know, have harsh words for her father. She was more appreciative of the 
genetics that he passed on to her of being good with words and writing and wit and she admired his scholarship he was a writer and a critic and a librarian anyway great short story highly recommend it the yellow wallpaper by charlotte perkins gilman lovely i love that story it's it's a good one so before we move on to biblio adventures i thought we would remind people that um in the show notes now when we link to books we're linking to our bookshop.org page and if you buy books from bookshop.org you help to support the cougars we are affiliates now of bookshop.org yeah we're really excited about that and we're really we want to thank listeners who've already started purchasing books that we mentioned um, through there, we we can see like orders that come in. We don't see names or anything, just what the titles are, which is great. So we've seen orders coming in, especially for Milltown, which is our next read along title. But the cool thing, and, and the reason we partnered with Bookshop is that we like that we get a 10% commission and then they send the other 10% to the general bookstore pile of money that will be distributed to independent bookstores around the country. So it's really a great nonprofit. And we are also still affiliates of Bank Square Books and the Savoy Bookshop, as well as Libro FM for audiobooks. And all of that information is in the show notes if you want to know how, you know, what link to click on so that you utilize our um, affiliation. Those are all in our show notes. So be sure to look for them there. And we also have a Patreon page that you can become a Patreon donor as well. And that's in the show notes. Speaking of Patreon, big thanks to Julie Z, who was one of our latest Patreon supporters. We really appreciate your support, Julie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julie. So Biblio Adventures, what have you been up to? You've been on a heck of a lot more than I have this time around. I've done some adventuring from my couch. Um, so thank you to our listener, Nancy, who, when she saw that I had read um, David Chang's book, Eat a Peach, and Lisa Donovan's book, Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger, she on, I believe it was Instagram said, hey, did you know they're talking on Friday morning at 10 in the Texas Book Festival? And I was devastated because I had something else to do. But then lo and behold, I went out and the Texas Book Festival sessions are available on YouTube. So check them out. They had some really great folks there. Lisa and David were talking about their memoirs. They're both big food people. I was so glad that I got to see it. I was because I'm a total fangirl now of both of theirs, but particularly Lisa. Hers is a book I literally have thought of every day since I read it. I was just so impressed by it. And um, they talked about a lot of different things, but one thing in particular that really caught my attention was the moderator, whose name I don't remember, I'm sorry, talked to them both about the fact that they were both really vulnerable in their books. David was very vulnerable talking about mental health issues that he had and still has and how he dealt with them over the years. And then Lisa talked about of being raped. Or the moderator said, you know, do you mind talking about that experience? And she said, no, I don't mind. And it's interesting that people don't really ask me about it when they're talking to me about the book. And then David piped up because he has a podcast, I guess. And he said, yeah, I didn't ask you about it when you were on my podcast because I was uncomfortable and I didn't know how to ask. But yet by both of them talking about both mental illness and, and the rape, you know, it's, Part of the point of that is to allow people the opportunity to, you know, bring things like that to the forefront and normalize them a little bit um, so you can talk about them more, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah, it's really important and really brave. I mean, it's brave on their part to put it in writing and to be willing to talk about it. And then it's kind of brave. You know, we talk to people now, we talk to authors and you know, sometimes we want to ask them questions. We're not really sure how they're going to react to them or if we're asking it in the right way or, you know, writing about it's one thing. Do you want to talk about it? You know, and on video, you know, that's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. When you write about something, you have a lot of time to 
put your thoughts together and really decide what aspect you want to share, you know? So I really appreciated that. And I appreciated the fact that they're both trying to take their own experiences. Um, and here seemingly these are memoirs about their, their experience in the restaurant world, but you know, there's more to them than just being great chefs, you know? Yeah. So that's great. I, you know, and that's an important thing too, is when you're struggling with mental illness or trauma, that your life is not necessarily over, mm -hmm. you know, that you hopefully can get help and carry on and live a life that you're excited about. Yeah, it's a really good point. Thanks, Chris, for mentioning that. So thanks again to Nancy for, you know, at first dashing my, my spirits thinking I'm not going to be able to participate and then checking and seeing that those, I think there was one big event that was a ticketed event. And I don't think that's available on video, but the rest are available on YouTube. So I'll link to that in the show notes. I attended another event through Skylark Books with the owner, Alex George. I'm now a complete fan of his. Great interview questions. And I love his British accent. You know, it makes me feel like I'm at an event over the pond. And he was interviewing Catherine May, who's also from England. So it was lovely. And they talked about some, I don't know, Englandy things that we don't really understand as Americans, but they had some giggles over some things about that. And her book is Wintering, The Power of Rest in Difficult Times. This was a fantastic conversation. The basis of her book, you know, she said when she set out to write a book at the beginning, this was not the book she planned to write, but then her family had these, a series of really hard events. Her husband got really ill quickly and had to make some difficult decisions about his life. And then as he was beginning to heal, she got really ill. And then their son had a mental health crisis and she said what it led to was like this period of feeling cut off from society and kind of feeling like they were outcasts in a certain way and that they lost their confidence. And she said, this can happen in all sorts of ways, you know, that, you know, you can have a relationship that ends, you can have um, some sort of a transition in your work life and lose your job. There can be all sorts of things that make you feel that, you know, like have a life altering event, essentially. And, and then what do you, you do about that? And so she decided to write this book about kind of what she refers to as fallow periods that we have. And what can you do during those times? And that really, if you can accept it and see that there's an, an open space to consider your life and look forward, which is really big task. I mean, I've had times like this in my life and you really have to embrace some of these things and see if you can move forward. But sometimes you're too mired in the muck to be able to get there, you know? So he asked her some questions and, and one of the things, one of the sentences that he read from the book is that she said that right now, one of the problems in, in our world is that there's this, what she calls a gloss of everyday life. And what she means by that is like, if you open up Facebook, there are all your friends living the perfect life, right? It looks so perfect and glossy and shiny, but we all know that that's not always true and that, you know, people behind closed doors, their lives might look different. So she said it, she really feels this endless cheer to positivity is problematic. And you've talked about this on past episodes, right? Well, yeah, Laura, my wife, who's a a life coach talks about it a lot because mm -hmm. it, it does damage to people. Yeah, it really does. Yep, it really does. And so that's part of what her book talks about is, you know, how can you kind of be introspective and look in instead of looking out and comparing yourself <laughs> to the outside world, you know? And one of the things she talked about, because remember the book is called Wintering, right? is that in the natural world, in the animal kingdom, they spend the majority of their time preparing for winter. Like bees make honey to survive winter and that we need to do some of the same things to survive both winter, but also these fallow periods in our life. And so the three things that they talked about, now there might be more things in the book, but the three things they talked about was reading, <laughs> is one of them, which I was, you know, cheering in the, in the background. 
And one of the one of the sentences that he read from her book is one of her quotes is you've heard that the quote dance like nobody's watching, right? She she writes read like nobody is watching. <laughs> so in <laughs> other words, right. read whatever you want, you know? Yeah. No rules wherever it takes you. And she said she actually reads a lot of YA literature because the way that they approach it and handle it, you know, things are resolved and answered and it can be really comforting to read those books. And Alex was saying at Skylark Books, to piggyback on that, one of their sayings is there's no guilty pleasure books either. You know, that someone will walk into the store and say, oh, I'm looking for a Jack Reacher novel. It's my guilty pleasure. And they're like, don't say that. You just enjoy reading it. That's fine. (laughs) You know, I thought that was cute. And then the other thing she talks about, the second thing is prayer and meditation and paying attention. You know, she said she doesn't necessarily mean like praying to a higher being. If that works for you, that's fine. But more it's like taking that walk and paying attention. Look up at the sky, look at the water, listen to the birds, you know. Yeah, be connected to it all. And then the third thing is singing. Which I just giggled when she said that because I have a real, I can sing when I'm alone, but singing in front of other people totally makes me wobbly need. (laughs) So, so those were some of her suggestions. It was a really great conversation. I um, wanted to read the book before I dialed in. Now I want to read it more than ever. And I don't think they record their events, but she is on a book tour. Again, it was Catherine May. The name of her book is Wintering the Power of Rest in Difficult Times. I think I'm going to look for it on audio. Very cool. Well, the Bibli adventure I went on was with you Mm -hmm. and some of our listeners. Thanks to everyone who showed up. We had a conversation with Kimberly McCrate, hosted through Book Club on the Go. Our friend Cindy invited us to be in conversation with Kim and we had such a good time. We were there mainly to talk about her, her new book, A Good Marriage, which came out earlier this year. So we had a great conversation with her. It's always weird to be live. It's different to be live. I think when you and I are talking on the podcast or even when we do videos, we know that we're going to edit them. So yeah, (laughs) there's something about being live. At least I got a little nervous in the beginning. I don't know about you. I did too, but then it was so nice to see in the chat friendly, what do you call it? Chatter, I guess. We couldn't see their faces. It was lovely to have our listeners there and you all asked fantastic questions. Thank you for that. It was our first time, you know, we were supposed to do this event live and it was supposed to be in March, I think, or May. I can't remember. Yeah. And then we kept kicking the can down the road because we thought, oh, surely we'll all be together in June, surely in July. And then finally, we was like, all right, let's just schedule it virtually. And there we were. So um, yeah, yeah, it was fun. It's, you know, a good marriage is a thriller. So it was also our first time, I feel like trying to talk to someone live, and then feeling like you couldn't really say too many things about the book, because you don't want to give anything away. Right. So. Yeah. No spoilers at <laughs> right. live events. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen audiences turn ugly at events when somebody gives a spoiler. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's no turning back, right? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. what? What? Shut up. Stop talking. <laughs> You're banished. You're banished from the Zoom room. <laughs> yeah. And um, A Good Marriage has been optioned by Nicole Kidman's production company. I forgot to ask her if it's for a movie or for um serialized television show i can't remember you know what it is going to be through amazon but i don't remember if it was going to be you know a movie or a series yeah it was fun and so um if you were interested in buying that book we would recommend that you go to book club on the go and buy it directly from them you'll also get a signed book plate uh, signed by kim when you order through book club on the go and we'll put a link to them in the show notes And thanks again, Cindy, for asking us to be in conversation with Kim. Yeah, that was really fun. I went on one more Couch Biblio adventure to listen to Vanessa Veselka in conversation with Kristen Arnett through Powell's Books um, in Seattle. No, Portland. I'm sorry. I did watch this on YouTube. The event had already happened. Vanessa Veselka is the author of the book I just talked about, The Great Offshore Grounds. And then Kristen Arnett, I've seen her name all over the place. She wrote the book, Mostly Dead Things, 
which I don't know a lot about, but I know got a lot of praise. So this is available for you to watch. I'll put a link in the show notes. And I just talked a lot about the book. The only thing I want to add is that Vanessa, she's a very interesting woman. She's been a cab driver, a musician. She owned a record label, a small record label. She was a sex worker. And as she was talking, I was like, oh, all of that stuff is in this book. This book was very ambitious. But she also talks about that both of the, the sisters are reaching the age of 30 and how she feels like that's an age when you really start looking at your life. Like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this really it? (laughs) Like this isn't in my early twenties. This didn't think this isn't what I thought I'd be doing, you know? Yeah. And, and do you need to start making maybe more like quote grown up decisions and settle, you know, making different choices. So um, I thought that was interesting. I hadn't thought about that as I was reading the book, but it was a really interesting conversation. Vanessa Vasalka and Kristen Arnett are both really interesting women. Again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So what about upcoming Biblio adventures? I don't have anything on the books. What about you? Well, I have two. One of them, I'll, it's the Jane Smiley event that I mentioned last time. That's through the Northshire Bookstore. That is going to be on Tuesday, December 8th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It's the day that this podcast goes live. They ask you to pay for the event. It's $5 to attend without the book, or you can get the book through them. I mentioned last time that I hadn't read A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley, and it's a book I've wanted to read forever. It won the Pulitzer in 1992, and it's set on an Iowa farm using an homage to King Lear by Shakespeare, which I love Shakespeare. I love Iowa. You know, like, I feel like it's going to be a win-win kind of read. Mm -hmm. But she is not there to talk about A Thousand Acres necessarily. She has a new book that is just out. It came out December 1st from Knopf. It's called Perestroika in Paris. And this novel is about a racehorse in Paris who somebody leaves the stable open and the horse walks out and goes exploring around Paris and meets a dog and they become friends. And then there are two ducks and a raven involved. And then a boy and his grandmother. Wow. Who go exploring different parts of Paris. So I don't know anything more than that. It sounds really interesting. There's also a Goodreads giveaway. It's specifically for an Amazon Kindle version of the book. So if you read on Amazon Kindle, which you can because they have that free app that you can download, that giveaway goes until December 26th, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, since the book will have been out. I mean, it's out now. So most giveaways kind of end prior, but um, there you have it. And then the other event is through the National Willa Cather Center. This one is on December 11th at 7 p.m. Central Time. So 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is one of their author series events. It's going to, it's featuring four authors, Lydia Kang, Theodore Wheeler, James Silar and Sadik Zukogi. I'm sure I mutilated that name. I apologize for that. But they're going to be doing some readings of their work and then talking about being Nebraska writers. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, looking forward to that. You do have to register for that event. It's free. <laughs> Oops, sorry I misspoke. It's actually free for members of the National Willa Cather Center. Non-members pay $5. Um, and we'll put a link in the show notes, though, if you're interested. Great. Wonderful. What about upcoming reads? Okay. I am so excited. I have in my hand an, another Anne Petrie novel. I read The Street by her, I think just last year, and really loved it. I came across that book. It's a new edition of The Street. When I was browsing at RJ Julia a couple weeks ago, I was there browsing for uh, gifts. And I just pulled it off the shelf and had to hold it because I had read a digital copy of The Street. That got me really interested again in, in Anne Petrie and just how much I like that novel. So the next up is her novel called Country Place, which has this beautiful blue cover with the tree and a waterscape. Anne Petrie was born in Old Saybrook, Connecticut, 
she died there too. She lived for, um, I think about 10 years in Harlem and some, some other places, I think when she went to college and stuff, but this novel is set in old Saybrook and there are scenes from Petrie's own experience of the hurricane of 1938, wow. which I've been now fascinated since I read the book, sudden sea about that hurricane earlier this year. So that is what I'm reading hopefully next. And just uh, for listeners to know, Old Saybrook is just a few towns over from us on the, the Connecticut shoreline. It's a town I absolutely adore. Yeah, it's a really great town. That's uh, where Catherine Hepburn lived. Right. So that might sound familiar to some people. There were scenes in the street also that happened in Old Saybrook. Oh, see, I didn't remember yeah. you talking yeah. about that. Yeah, so really, I highly recommend The Street if you mm -hmm. haven't read it yet. It is a fantastic novel. It's literary, but also kind of noir in its grittiness mm -hmm. and very feminist, very much exploring racism and being African-American in America in the 1940s mm -hmm. and being a single mother. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot goes on in that novel, but it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's on my list for sure. Well, I have a cookbook that I'm really excited about. It was sent to me by, do you say Phaidon? Is that how you pronounce it? I Phaidon. think so. It's P-H-A-I-D-O-N. Yeah. They make a lot of beautiful books, you know, things that you would in some, sometimes consider to be coffee table books. Um, the book is Favacon. 415 days beginning to end. And Favacon is this famous, famous restaurant in Scandinavia. It got tons of praise because it's in the middle of nowhere with a very short growing season. And they did lots of really interesting things with food and preserved a lot of foods so that, you know, they could use them throughout the year. And at the height of their success, they decided to close. So they have some other, at least one other cookbook I know that's a cookbook of, you know, really the food they cook there. But this one is really about the story of the restaurant and how it came to be. It does have interesting recipes in it. The food is very unusual. So I didn't really want the cookbook necessarily because I feel like I'm going to become a really great chef in, you know, <laughs> favicon's world but um i really just wanted to read the story of the restaurant and how it came to be and why they would choose to close you know when they're doing so well i don't know the story behind that um i just received it it's a beautiful book it's incredibly heavy <laughs> and i've been toting it back and forth but have yet to really got get a chance to dig into it so i'm hoping to do that this weekend that's great i tell you it is so sad when a, a restaurant you love closes yeah. And I mean, I, you know, people tried really hard to get into this restaurant. I've never been to Scandinavia, so I've never tried hard to get into it. But I'm sure there are people who had it on their wish list who are going to be very sad to never get the chance now, you know. And then I think we both have a book, an upcoming read in preparation for an author spotlight that we're doing coming up. Yeah, we're super excited. Bill Goldstein is going to be a guest on an upcoming episode. His book is The World Broken 2, Virginia Woolf, T.S. Eliot, D.H. Lawrence, E.M. Forster, and the Year That Changed Literature. It has a Willa Cather theme in it, right? Willa Cather's the one with the quote. Right, that's a famous line that she wrote in an essay uh, that The World Broken 2. In 1922 or thereabouts. And that's from her collection, Not Under 40, a collection of essays, which is one I'd recommend if you wanted to read some nonfiction by Gather. We're looking forward to talking with Bill about this book and what he's currently working on and his career. He's had an amazing career. He's one of our favorite moderators because he asks fantastic questions and is so comfortable going with the flow of a conversation we really enjoy watching him talk with other writers. Yeah, we're really just having him on so we can pick his brain. How do you do it, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> we also have an upcoming interview with Jason Pinter, who's the author of many books, but the two I've read and mentioned on the podcast are Hideaway and A Stranger at the Door. 
Um, Hideaway is the first in the series and it's available now. Stranger at the Door is on sale January 12th. And we'll be talking with Jason Pinter soon as well. Yeah, and we're letting you know about these ahead of time, because if you have any questions for either of these writers, shoot us an email, let us know on social media. Our email is bookcougars at gmail.com. Super simple. We love to hear from listeners. It makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it looks like another episode is coming to an end. Indeed. We hope you all are getting plenty of reading time. If nothing else, email us and let us know about that. Totally. And wear a mask, please. Everybody just keep wearing those masks. Yes, please wear a mask. All right, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Wishing you lots of happy Happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.